This is a Soulfire production. Yo, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Connor Wanders. I am obviously Connor, and I am obviously your host. I'm glad to have you here. Texas is under some serious threat from snow and ice. One of the only things that can truly mess with Texas. And being someone who grew up in Texas and spent a lot of time there, I understand what it's like when it gets icy. A lot of these Californians that have moved into Texas that weren't prepared for this shit are having a hard time right now. I find it funny because when it would get icy in Austin, it's the hill country. And people tend to get out and think they can drive, even though their tires aren't built for the snow and their cars aren't made for driving on ice. But they still get out there and think that they've got a chance. And I used to just find joy in watching people that were trying to make it to their job, maybe get their kids to school if it wasn't canceled, Maybe get uh, to the, uh, you know, the emergency room for some kind of medical situation. And I enjoyed watching those people rush around town and just slide into one another like complete assholes. It was entertaining. You could just sit, just grab a cup of coffee and sit by some hill somewhere, some slopey little meandering road and just watch someone try and turn to follow the road. And just go right over the curb into someone's yard. Maybe run over a snowman that their children had made. Hopefully the children are not in the road. Because that would be dangerous. But that's where Texas is at right now. And everybody's crying and freaking out. They always call it like snowmageddon. Every time it happens. But it's, been, it's a lot of snow. It's a lot of snow. And it's pretty funny to watch. And then we have, now we have uh, uh, right-wing media outlets jumping in. Talking about, oh, look at, look at these, these uh, wind turbines in Texas that are frozen. And people are losing power because the wind turbines are frozen in a one in a hundred year storm that is arguably fueled by man-made climate change. So I don't really know where the where the 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 right has a has a ground to stand on here as far as criticizing renewable energy through wind turbines, but it is pretty uh, astonishing to see those things frozen up completely. Really interesting. And you wonder why that would happen. You would think they would shake the ice off as they kept moving. Um, but I guess not. A few of those things are frozen up. And, of course, that could all just be media manipulation. I just saw that briefly. But super interesting stuff. Oh, by the way, uh, Trump was exonerated yet again from impeachment round two. One of the most boring impeachments of all time. Now, it had a little bit more juice than uh, the, the first impeachment. But the acquittal came through nonetheless, as was predicted by literally fucking everyone. So, during a time when there's lots of things that could be getting done, you know, a lot of things that could be getting done, uh, we did this. This is what happened. We impeached Trump again. And this, to me, reminds, reminds me of those times when you have things to get done. You've got things to get done, things that are important, maybe not incredibly pressing, but things that would be productive. But instead, you just uh, binge watch Sex in the City. 
something that entertains you, that you've grown accustomed to, something that, that you, is very predictable but also sucks you in. That's what Trump is for our policy. He is sex in the city for politics. And that's what we've done here. There was better things that could have been done, but they're just so just, just sucked in to the phenomenon that is Trump, and they want those ratings. And they got a few news cycles out of it, and they got to kick the can down the road, and they got to virtue signal, and they got to score points for whatever they're going to whatever they're going to use in the upcoming midterms in which the Democrats are most likely going to be fucking destroyed um, if things keep going the way they're going. But interesting stuff nonetheless. We're going to get into some fun stuff today. Uh, Bernie being an ignorant slut. That's going to be funny. Gina Carano was canceled. <laughs> Vice has a problem with Clubhouse. Governor Newsom, of course, is facing recall, which is really fun to watch. Uh, Cuomo is also handling some uh, some scandally type things going on over here. We're going to get into that. And then in something to think about, we're going to talk about, will the pendulum of ignorance swing back the other direction anytime soon? And just kind of discuss, just kind of discuss and explore. But here's the thing. If you want to discuss and explore on a deeper level, you need to be in the Patreon community, the politically homeless Patreon community. If you're listening to this, I assume that you're pretty politically homeless, politically unhomed. And I wanted to create a nice, warm space for you, a safe space where you could feel free to believe and question and commit thought crimes at your own leisure and participate in creating content that you find valuable. So if you want to be a part of that and you're not literally unhomed, Hit the, uh, hit, the, hit the link in the show notes. Patreon.com slash politically homeless. Join up. The lowest tier is at $6, or you can use, or you can use, you can join the deep state for $15. And once we have 10 people in the deep state, we're not there yet, we're getting close. We're going to be doing um, some clubhouse work. That's what I think we're going to take this. I was going to do a Zoom meeting, but I think we can get together on a scheduled clubhouse and have a conversation that is live participating with everyone on what's going on in the world. So that's what I want to do. That's, I, you know, I was curious where this Patreon thing was going to go. And now if you're in the deep state, if we moved, if we get you in the deep state, you will be a, a contributor on the clubhouse conversation. And I also, since I have the gear for it, want to record those and put those out within the premium community. In case you miss them, you'll still have them. And that's where we're at. So join up. Patreon.com slash Connor Wanders. If you're already in there, I love you more than anyone else listening to this show. And with that being said, it's time to get into the state of things. Bernie Sanders is an ignorant slut. Yeah, all right. <laughs> this, this made my day. And you may have already seen this now, but I, I really hope you haven't because this is just, just cracked me the fuck up. So Neera Tandon, who is just a terrible human being, um, is <laughs> it was nominated for the director of the OMB, the Office of Management and Budget, which is literally the worst role for her. 
uh, possible. And she has quite the track record of being a thunder cunt on Twitter, saying things like uh, the GOP has less heart than a vampire. Um, I mean, she's just gone down the rabbit hole. One of her best friends is just someone who ripped Bernie for being a Jew, was very anti-Semitic, also talked a lot about uh, sucking his dick. It was very weird, very weird. Her, her, her community is really... It's funny because they criticize people for being toxic, but literally are the most toxic people on the internet. And she is one of the only people that can compete with the obnoxiousness of Trump. So Neera Tandon is someone I'm clearly not a fan of. And I've been through this before on the show. Maybe you missed it. Maybe you didn't. But I don't like her. I don't like her at all. But her confirmation hearing or her whatever the fuck it's called, where they where they give hammer her with questions, she just got put through the ringer by so many people. It was really fun to watch. It was it was quite it was the most entertaining thing that was going on in uh, politics on that day for sure. Even though it was at the same time as the impeachment hearing, but then Senator John Kennedy came through in the clutch in a big way. This is hilarious. Just talking about her behavior on social media. So here's Senator John Kennedy talking to Neera Tandon about her Twitter behavior. You call Senator Sanders everything but an ignorant slut. That is not, that is not true. And when, when, you call Senator Sanders everything but an ignorant slut. That is not, that is not true. And when, I just love hearing this man say that. And then he goes even further. I want the record to reflect that I did not call Senator Sanders an ignorant slut. <laughs> okay? Thank you. Uh, I don't know how I should take that time to tell you, but uh, Senator King. I want the record to reflect that time. I did not call Senator Sanders an ignorant slut. <laughs> okay? Thank you. Uh, I don't know how I should take that sentence. Oh, I just love Bernie Sanders. I cannot, I cannot not love this guy. He cracks me up. And now that he's the chairman of the Senate Budget Committee, he's got he's got a role in this, and he's going to be feuding with Neera Tannen for the foreseeable future. And I just, I it, it brings me some joy that this girl is just going to get hammered by the same people that she was mocking and humiliating on social media by being a Hillary Clinton lackey who was the founder for the Center for American Progress, which is essentially a holding pen for what was going to be the Hillary Clinton administration. And she's still bitter about that, but she got her way because Biden's in office. And it was just funny to watch her get embarrassed. Of course, these people are all going to confirm her and she's going to get her job, even though it's an, it just a terrible pick, especially if you want to talk about unity. If you want to run on, if you want to pretend that you are a unifying force for the nation, maybe don't uh, appoint somebody who has one of the the second most egregious Twitter records following Donald Trump. Maybe steer away from that. Maybe look at what that did uh, to the culture of this country and move a different direction. But I thought that was fun. I hope that made you laugh as much. I can't, I can't not laugh whenever I watch this. It's so funny to hear her say, um, <laughs> to hear Senator Kennedy say, just say ignorant slut. And I don't know where that even came from, but it's super, super funny. Great stuff. Well, you may have heard that Gina Carano has been fired from The Mandalorian and any future Lucasfilm productions. Now, I learned who Gina Carano was um, when she was on American Gladiator. I think there was an American Gladiator. Hulk Hogan was the host. It was back in maybe 2005, six, something like that. Um, and I thought she was just a all-out smoke show. So I'm a Gina Carano fan, even though I don't watch The Mandalorian because I think Star Wars is silly. But... 
Her being fired over her statements, I find pretty egregious. Pretty egregious. Now, she has since created a deal to produce and star in a movie for The Daily Wire because apparently they're into movies now. Um, but I want to get into the tweets that she sent that were really piling up and um, and what led to her being fired. They were really looking – apparently they were looking for a reason because of her Twitter conduct was becoming problematic for Lucasfilm, the, the, which has just made – by the way, this Lucasfilm thing, I think The Mandalorian is apparently a pretty decent show, but these new Star Wars movies are – they lack any narrative structure and character development. Like I don't watch, I've never watched them, but I watch uh, reviews of them and breakdowns of them as these people just rip these movies apart for being really, really bad. And you had a bunch of woke warriors creating a movie in which a woman is the star character, which is fine, which is great. Amazing. Right, we can think about uh, Terminator as being that movie. Alien is another movie that was an action movie with a main character that was a strong bad bitch. Okay, now if you compare that to what Lucasfilm is putting out, where the women in that show have zero struggles, have all the skills in the world just given to them, they don't have any character development, and you cannot get emotionally invested in them. So objectively, they are shitty movies. If you can disagree with me, if you want, but if you're disagreeing with me, you're probably a twelve-year-old kid. Okay, that doesn't understand uh, emotional investment into a character's journey or the hero's journey in general, right? It's a pretty straightforward recipe that the original Star Wars movies did exceptionally well. But now, because women can't face challenges and they can be whoever the fuck they want to be just because they want to be it, and that's the way we're going to pretend that the world works, which is incredibly problematic in my opinion, Lucasfilm has created really, really shitty movies that are very pretty, very pretty, but now any man in the movie is an idiot and a buffoon and can't do anything correctly, and Ray can solve all problems with very little uh, consequence or investment. So that's my knee-jerk reaction on the new Star Wars movies, but with Gina Carano, I don't know what her character was, don't know shit about The Mandalorian, as I've said, but I want to get into her being fired for this. So let's get down to the, the, the tweet that really, with a straw that broke the camel's back as far as the tweet goes. Um, she says, Jews were beaten in the streets, not by Nazi shoulders, but by their neighbors, in, uh, by their neighbors even by children. Because history is edited, most people today don't realize that to get to the point where Nazi soldiers could easily round up thousands of Jews, the government first had to, had to make their own neighbors hate them simply for being Jews. How is that any different from hating someone for their political views? Which is fucking true, right? Like, that is true. Now, we can say what we have going on in the United States as far as divisiveness among about around political views as being less egregious than what happened to Jews in Nazi Germany. Yeah, of course, they're on different scales. But... The cognitive processing there is the same. So that's the first, that's that's the one that actually got her fired. Now let's move on to some other tweets and see what was kind of stacking up. Um, if we keep going down here. Okay, one of the first firestorms she sparked online came in September when she addressed the pressure to use trans-friendly pronouns instead of updating her Twitter bio with the words, beep, bop, boop. <laughs> so instead of putting she, her, or whatever she wanted to be called, her pronouns, she put in beep, bop, boop, which I think is actually kind of funny. And if you've seen my Instagram, my pronouns are dude and bro, so I cannot criticize her because I did something very similar. She goes on to say, I'm not against trans lives at all. They need to find less abusive representation. I also agree with this. 
Like these are all things that I would say. Now I'm not on the Mandalorian and I'm not hired by Lucasfilm. And if I was hired by MSNBC and I said these kind of things, I would likely get fired and I would kind of expect that. But I think sometimes you got to stand up for what you believe in and speak what's on your mind, especially when you're being attacked and kind of bullied into some kind of ideology, right? So after after sparking an uproar online, she classified that this has zero to do with mocking trans people, but exposing the bullying mentality of the mob that has taken over the voices of many genuine causes. That's the thing, right? It's mobs taking over the voices of genuine causes. Again, that's a very strong take and a very grounded take on what's going on in our world right now. I want people to know you can take hate with a smile, so boop you for misunderstanding. In my experience, screaming at someone as they that they are a racist when they are indeed not a racist, and any post and or research you do will show those exact facts, then I'm sorry. These people are not educators. They are cowards and bullies, she wrote in a reply shared by Vanity Fair. Yes, walking up to innocent people on the street that are trying to have lunch and yelling at them for being oppressors is not necessarily educational or effective or appropriate. Those, that's not education, right? That's about as much education as a re-education camp. That's not necessarily helpful. So when we look at this whole situation with Gina or Gina, however she wants to say her name, um, this is completely unfair, Right, like she did a good job at in her role. She's an action hero. She's she's a former mixed martial arts fighter. She's a badass, and it seems like there is this protectionism over the feelings of people who aren't even necessarily impacted by someone's speech. Right, none of her takes were racist. I don't consider them problematic. None of them were were out and out um, bigoted at in, in any way. Those were her takes on. What's going on in the world? Now, I'm sure if she and I sat down and have a, had a discussion, we would disagree about some things. Um, but at the same time, I want to respect someone's right to say things and critically think in a public domain, such as Twitter. So to look at this, agree with her or not, I can't imagine someone believing that her stance on these issues was something that justifies her being fired and now what they've done is put her name on so many more people's list as far as people to work with, like at the Daily Wire, and her stock has probably gone up. And she's going to have a lot more autonomy in that. But now we've brought light. Like when they, when they attack someone like this for doing what she did, which was objective and relatively grounded, and a majority of Americans probably agree with what she has to say on both sides of the aisle, you're allowing a small minority of the left to dictate what people's careers can be now, right? Which isn't a new thing. This is it's, it's a it's a phenomenon that's been happening for the last few years. So when we look at this in this pandering and this curtailing of views that are accurate, what does that mean for us? And what does that mean for us going forward? And how do we, how are we going to handle when this happens again? 
And it seems like you have certain things, right? Like at first people were getting canceled for things that were, well, we would maybe as a whole consider pretty cancelable, but then now the goalposts have moved because you've canceled the people that are cancelable now, right? You got rid of Alex Jones and those cats. So now we got to keep moving. We got to keep canceling. We're addicted to canceling. We have, we have a, a toxic relationship with media, social media, and even celebrities to a point and what they have to say. So the goalposts are going to continue to move. And this is a good example of somebody losing uh, their job and, of course, leveraging it as best they can. But losing their job overtakes that a large percentage of Americans, if not the majority, would agree with. And to me, that is a little bit atrocious, right? And I'm not saying that the majority of Americans are deplorables. I'm not Hillary Clinton. But we've got to be pretty pragmatic about how we handle this going forward because this is by no means helpful. This only gives the conservatives, the right, more ammunition against the left. And as somebody who's left of center, I take this shit very seriously because I get lumped in with these fucking idiots. And I'm sure a handful of you out there do too. Like many of my liberal friends who are more liberal than I am are super fed up with this shit. And that's kind of where I get the idea that the majority of Americans would agree with what she had to say. So to, to fire someone over that is cowardice and wrong, and I can't stand with it. So I'm with Gina, as I have been since she was on American Gladiator in 2006. What a babe. Well, hello there, non-Patreon listener. It's time for an ad from our show sponsor, a, sh- a sponsor that has the balls, the cojones. To sponsor a podcast like this, Elemental Labs has developed one of the most badass electrolyte drink mixes ever. And it's created by people that actually know their shit. This isn't some like salesy, oh, electrolytes, oh, like idiocracy bullshit. Okay, this is the good good. It's got all the things you need if you're into working out, fasting, carnivore, paleo, uh, keto, any of those type of diets, you you may end up being deficient in electrolytes for a lot of reasons because we've changed a lot in the way that we've evolved, in the way we do things, the way we process food, all that kind of stuff. But Element has got you covered. And this is used by all kinds of people, even, you know, entrepreneurs that want an edge or people overseas doing military stuff. You know what I'm saying? People that are d- d- doing war crimes. They got to stay hydrated too. And they do that with Element. Now, Rob Wolf is the co-founder, and Rob Wolf has been an inspiration to me as far as nutrition and even politics. So I have this is this product is near and dear to my heart. And here's what we are offering you, the listener of this podcast. You can hit the link in the show notes and go to drinklmnt.com slash wanders. Okay, just click that click that link. Do it while you're listening to the show. Do it right now. And you're gonna get an eight-pack sample pack. Okay, you've got the raspberry, which is delicious, uh, citrus salt, which is delicious, unflavored, not delicious, but good for you, and then the orange salt as well. Now, there's a few things you can do with these. If you want some kind of like paleo-friendly cocktail, some low-carb cocktail on your weekend, you're going into your weekend, you want to get a little fancy, want to do a little tequila and some raspberry, it's good for that. 
Mix it with a little bit less water. Make it pretty strong. Drop your tequila in there. Bada bing, bada boom. But I love this stuff every morning. I drink it. I make one of these. I get my cold brew out. And boom, one-two punch. I'm ready for the day. I'm ready to do content. I'm ready to wade into the deep, deep, dark abyss that is American politics. And I would not be able to do it without element. So... Check that out. It's drinkelement, D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash wanders. Get that eight sample pack. It's the jam. You're going to love it. Now, what you won't get in a sample pack, but what I love the most is the lemon habanero. The lemon habanero is my favorite flavor, hands down. And if you want a little sweet treat to curve some cravings at the end of the day, get the chocolate flavor. Mix it with warm water. Just get your little, you know, whatever you use to heat up water. I don't know what your life is like. Uh, if you're in Texas, you're not heating up shit right now. That's what's pretty funny about this whole thing, unless you've got a fire. But either way, warm up some hot water. I'd say about 9 to 10 ounces. Drop that chocolate salt in there. Boom. you got that little hot chocolate. You can cozy up on the couch. Maybe listen to this podcast as the last thing you do before you go to bed to get you in the mood for some sweet dreams. Get that element. Boom. Knock it out. I did that last night, and I... I loved it after dinner because then I was like, I don't need a snack right now. I need to work on my figure. I need to stay tight. I need to stay tight. So I just, you know, I do this instead. I get hydrated, get a little flavor in. Boom. I drink way more water because of Element. It is the shit. Get some drinkelement.com slash wanders. The link is in the show notes. Make it happen. Support the show because you know your ass isn't in the Patreon. Like if you were in the Patreon, you wouldn't be listening to this right now. So either buy Element or get your fucking ass in the Patreon before I come find you and choke you. Not erotically. I choke you in a very different way. I'm not going to choke you. I'm not choking anybody. I'm sorry, guys. This is getting a little bit off the rails. Let's get back to the show. So Vice has a problem with the new social media app called Clubhouse that many of us are spending way too much time on now. So what Clubhouse is essentially is a group of people very similar to a podcast, but interactive. So you can have a group of moderators and speakers and an audience. You can bring people onto the stage. People can raise their hands, ask questions, but it's audio only. And once the conversation is done, unless you're recording it on a roadcaster like I have right here, um, it's gone. So you get to have live conversations, and there's a lot of really, really high-level intellectuals and, and speakers from all places. I mean, from critical race theory to anti-critical race theory to neurobiology to robotics to Bitcoin. Like, it's a really diverse platform, and it's invite-only, uh, but I've been spending some time on there. It's really fun. Um, some of the stuff is a little bit obnoxious. Of course, there's like, you know, it gets it gets hijacked by dating coaches and uh, matchmakers and shit like that, which run the thing. And it ends up being this like gigantic sales funnel. But those people are going to grift on whatever they can grift on. And that's the way that they make their money and buy big houses and then make you envious of them and then try and sell you more things because you're now envious of their lifestyle. And they're selling you a lifestyle that doesn't actually exist because the only reason they have that lifestyle is because you pay them. So, it's a really interesting thing how people can add very little value and get paid for it. I've become very, uh, uh, very tapped in to that uh, reality uh, based on the you know eight or nine years I spent in personal development. Uh, and now I'm here <laughs> where the grifts are even more griftery. But we've got this article from Vice that's called The Problem with Clubhouse. The increasingly, increasingly popular social media app is allowing conspiracy theorists, theories about COVID-19 to spread unchecked. Oh, my God. Are they really? Conspiracy theories about COVID-19 are being, are being allowed to flow unchecked? 
oh no, what are we going to do? What are we going to do with all this information if we don't get it from Andrew fucking Cuomo? We can't, it can't be trusted. It's going to ruin the world. We need to shut it down. We've got to shut it down right now. Anyways, Clubhouse, the growing audio-only social media app, came along just at the right time. Ever since the pandemic forced us indoors, its ability to offer the chance of conversation with complete strangers has only made it increasingly popular. But the platform now faces one of the greatest challenges of modern times, misinformation. The greatest challenge of modern times is misinformation? Really? How about abundance of information? There's too much information out there, maybe. But misinformation? Are you talking about what we did for two or three years on MSNBC and CNN with Russiagate? Is that, is that, is that what we're talking about here? Or is it the fact that uh, your odds of dying of, of COVID uh, in the age between the ages of, I don't know, uh, one years old and 50 is like .000 fucking one? Is that misinformation? Because that's statistical. That's numbers. That's math. So if that's a problem, well, I think, I think we have bigger issues than misinformation. I think we have, you know what? Let's just keep going. Right now, the app is still in beta. It's invite only and available only for iOS users. But that hasn't stopped people from joining the wait list or begging for invites. Celebrities like Drake, Oprah Winfrey, Kevin Hart, and even have popped up on the app. Yada, yada, yada. Uh, but users are also warned of outlandish coronavirus conspiracy theories, everything from false rumors that the vaccine is made from fetal cells to 5G satellites controlling people through social distancing are spreading fast on the app. Those who call out these false claims even face harassment and abuse. I've spent hours on this app, and I've never seen or heard any of this. This tattletale journalism is fucking gross. Gross. On January 12th, Chaka 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 Bars? Chaka Bars Clark, an entrepreneur and charity founder with a million Instagram followers, embarked on a heated debate with doctors and healthcare professionals about COVID-19 vaccine. Who paid for the research? Clark asked in a clubhouse discussion in audio recordings obtained by Vice. Who owns the media platform that the information is spread upon? Who is creating the circulation to train the doctors that are telling us what we are supposed to put in our bodies and what we are not supposed to put in our bodies? All valid questions, by the way. All valid questions. Who paid for the research is a very important question that should be way more transparent. He continued, I'm being presented information by a particular ethnic group, mainly Europeans, and all of that information comes from a group and all of the research and all the funding and all the development and financial benefit goes to that group. Okay, I don't know why that has to do with Europeans or race in any way, but uh, okay, let's keep going. In fact, people of color from all over the world have been part of the vaccine research effort, yada, yada, yada. Okay, this is now we're, now we're turning this into like a race conversation. Um... The conversation on Clubhouse soon escalated and turned personal. While people were mass reporting Clark for allegedly discouraging people from getting vaccinated, he believed that he was the one getting bullied. Clark and those defending him, including comedian Tiffany Haddish, were accused of harassing medical professionals trying to correct the misinformation. Haddish rejected the incident as abuse, later tweeting, Now people on Clubhouse saying, I'm bullying because I told the truth. Having an open dialogue... Right, the fact that Vice wrote this article in such a poor light of a of an up and coming social media app is Parlor 2.0, right? 
having diversity of opinions and diversity of thought and people asking challenging questions to those in power and those running the narratives is not a problem. That is what liberals used to do. That was the role of liberals in our, uh, in our, in our social environments. Defending free speech, defending the right to protest, calling out power when it is used in a way that is disadvantageous to the people. That's what being a liberal used to mean. That's what I feel like a liberal should still mean. When I used to call myself a liberal, that's what I meant by it. And now we have fucking vice, this left-wing fucking mouthpiece that pretends to be journalism, just finding ways to tattletale. We had another story come out in the New York Times about someone who used the term retard talking about the GameStop situation when everybody in GameStop bets their catchphrase for each other is calling themselves retards. And their their tagline was we can stay retarded more than you could longer than you can stay solvent to attack hedge funds. It's a bit. And yes, it's funny. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that it's not funny. I thought it was hilarious when I got to Wall Street Bets and saw that. And we have Taylor Lorenz, I think is her name, who just does nothing all day but work for the New York Times and write about people saying mean things on the internet. Get the fuck over yourselves. Like People are having a good time. It's like we can't have a good time. can't have a good time on Twitter and interact with each other and have fun dialogue or speak our minds. And then we go, okay, well, parlor happens. Well, nope, that gets taken down. Now Clubhouse is here, and we have this audio version where we can hear comedians try and be funny, which doesn't work out often, but it's fun to listen to. And people having long-form discussions, conversations that are three, four, five, six hours, bringing in people, asking questions. And when someone does say something that's out of line, there's plenty of people that can jump in and criticize them or let them speak and hear them out. Because that the these ideas and these conversations that challenge vaccines and challenge the common narrative are incredibly important. Diversity of opinion and diversity of thought is incredibly important. I would say that is much more important than diversity of skin color. But we seem to be focused on one and completely ignoring the other. And that to me is is a sign, it's a slippery fucking slope to be on. A really slippery slope. So this is where we're at. Vice used to be fun to read, but damn, this is just getting to be a fucking problem. So maybe we should do a clubhouse called The Problem with Vice. That that sounds like a great place to be. But this is this is a joke. And it's really it's really sad to see this, but I wanted to put this on everybody's radar because uh, keep your eye out for this. The bigger that clubhouse becomes, the more it's going to be attacked. And Facebook has already created a subpar version of this in their messaging system and their messaging thing where you can do group conversation. I don't know, whatever the fuck they're trying to do. They're doing the same thing they did with Reels versus TikTok is create a, a, a lesser version of a popular app because Facebook just cannot be content with owning as much of the narrative as they do. So a lot of things that are coming out here. Keep your eye on this. This is relatively small at, at right now, but could become a popular part of the conversation. And once the Democratic Party decides that Clubhouse is a problem and they're in power, well, be on the lookout for them to for the social media companies and places like Amazon Web Services to make a move on Clubhouse in the same way that they did with Parler. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm saying it's very, very possible. Well, Governor Gavin Newsom is in some trouble. The recall efforts 
have been pretty successful, getting close to 2 million signatures, I believe. Yeah, I mean, this is getting pretty intense. So if we look at this here, we have an article from Political that says, Newsom shifts into defense mode as California recall takes shape. Um, California Governor Gavin Newsom has shifted into recall defense mode this week with daily appearances up and down the state, complete with local officials praising his work. And swiping and swiping at his would-be opponents. The Democratic governor still refuses to utter, utter the word recall as if doing so acknowledges his vulnerability. But his actions suggest that he's well aware of the effort to place the recall on the ballot as a strong chance of qualifying, derailing a political arc that many believe could lead to the White House. Gavin Newsom, if he runs for president, that would be a fucking joke what he's done in california the mass exodus the amount of tax revenue that california has lost is astonishing astonishing in the past eight days newsom has held news conferences touting mass vaccination clinics in oakland san diego santa clara and fresno apart from two budget briefings for the first time since march he opened access tuesday to all media in person rather than relying on a pool reporter or taking Uh, Questions only through a tightly controlled virtual news conference. The recall has become real enough that President Joe Biden weighed in on Tuesday. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki said on Twitter that POTUS clearly opposes any effort to recall Gavin Newsom. After spending a few weeks curtailing public appearances and dropping a budget announcement on TikTok, dropping a budget announcement on TikTok, Newsom has received course uh, with, as re- excuse me, Newsom has reversed course with campaign style events where he is trying to control the narrative. Now, the approval rating of Newsom has dropped below 50%. I think it's at like 47. Uh, we're about to see what happens here. This, this is something that, I, and the reason I wanted to bring this up, I'm so glad this is happening. Newsom has run his state into the ground. Okay, there are, I don't know anybody in California who's satisfied. I don't know where that 47% even came from. I would have I would have assumed his approval rating is closer to in the 20s, right? Like post-insurrection Trump approval ratings. So I love that he's being held to account here. And I was listening to the All In podcast with Chamash Palihapitiya, who I'm a big fan of. And he was actually considering a run for governor of California, which I would love to see him in California and Andrew Yang as the mayor of New York City, which is very likely to happen. Um, But when we have this going on here, we look at this and we think this is what happens when I look when I look at this. I think this is what happens. It's what they talked about on the podcast. If the Republicans have a zero percent chance of winning. In California, which they do. There's a 0% chance that that Republicans are going to win uh, the governor position in California. And when that happens, you get subpar candidates. You need that polarization within your state. You need the Republicans to have at least a 30% chance of winning because that will elevate the candidates on the other side and that will hold them to account. And when that's not the case, your populace has to hold your leadership to account, which is what's happening now. Okay. I would say at this point, Texas is probably the best positioned politically to operate as a state. And Texas has done, has a really good track record of operating as a state out everywhere outside of social policies. And when you look at that, it's very feasible, especially now that a Democrat could win this spot of the governor of Texas, especially with everybody moving there from California, right? But you, you couldn't run as a super lib 
in Texas. You'd have to run as a moderate, um, slightly progressive Democrat that has sound economic policy because you have an actual competition there. When you lose that, you get someone like Gavin Newsom who is not prepared, who is a fucking wine merchant, right? Some silver spoon fuckhead. And we got this situation because he's not equipped to do his fucking job because he wasn't held to account before he got into office. That's what's fucked up about California. That's what's fucked up about Oregon. That's what's fucked up about Washington. Because when liberal policies have a lot more of a downside because they're so they're aggressive and they have a big reach. The reason that Republican policies don't have the same kind of consequences because they don't move fast. They move very, very, very slow. And they're very cautious to make change. Generally, people that are conservative are very scared of change. So it makes them conservative. So the consequences of liberal policies, and I agree with many of them, but the consequences of overreach are mass, are massive. And when you have this situation where there's no real challenger to the throne of California, well, you get this. And I'm so proud of Californians, even though it's a bunch of GOP assholes that I would not agree with on any policy, but I'm so proud of Californians for holding him to account because it's the only, they're the only people that are going to. No one else is going to. I was talking to a friend uh, just the other day at the gym who was on the phone uh, with the mayor's office here in Denver, and they're following the California model to recovery. Colorado is following the fucking California model for recovery. And California has leadership that is not held accountable. So what the fuck would you do? Why would you follow them? Follow Texas who's stacking billionaires right now. What is Texas doing and why is that working? And I'm really looking to my home state of Texas to lead the way here. Maybe this this segment has turned into me uh, dick riding Texas a little bit. But they're the leaders here. California is not the leader of the nation when it comes to COVID response. Texas is. Because Texas has people that are employed. Texas has people that are making money. Texas economy can survive without the United States. Maybe more states should mirror that and not a state run by a 53-year-old man-child. Just a thought. Moving on to the next entitled asshole, Cuomo accepts some blame for nursing home scandal but denies cover-up. Governor Andrew Cuomo admitted to a delay and that he created pain but stopped short of a full apology for the state's withholding of virus death data from the state lawmakers. Now, the reason they withheld that is because they were terrified of prosecution once they got the numbers in from what their actions had done in nursing homes where many, and I I think most actually, most COVID deaths occurred in nursing homes. And Cuomo, you know, threw some gasoline on that fire and then uh, wrote a book about how great he was in his COVID response and became an arrogant fucking asshole that everybody worshipped for no goddamn reason. And also just got to go on CNN and have fun conversations with his brother about how big his nose is um, instead of having serious questions being asked and answered of him. Now, as we keep on going, Albany, New York. Admitting a degree of fault for the first time, 
prick. Uh, Governor Andrew Cuomo said on Monday that his administration's lack of transparency about the scope of the coronavirus-related deaths in nursing homes in New York was a mistake. By failing to answer questions from state lawmakers, the public, and the news media, Mr. Cuomo acknowledged the state's the state created a void that was filled with skepticism, cynicism, and conspiracy theories, which furthered the confusion. We're going to go to conspiracy theories now, really, because the funny thing is, the funny thing is, and I hate to say this, but I'm going to say it. I learned about this from Alex Jones. I learned about this. From a lunatic that scale, screams into a microphone, who I do love dearly, but that's where I learned about this from. So to belittle conspiracy theories when they call you on your shit, I feel like it's problematic. I feel like that's disinformation. But he stopped short of a full apology for his handling of information about the death toll in the state's nursing homes, an issue that has been engulfed by his administration in, me, in uh, recent weeks. Speaking in the state capitol, Mr. Cuomo made his first remarks since a top aide to the governor, Melissa DeRose, privately told some state lawmakers last week that the state had withheld data from the legislator because it feared that the Trump administration would use the information to begin a federal civil rights investigation, which should 1,000% happen. That's like me being like, oh, withheld information about that person that I murdered and buried in the woods because I didn't want to be prosecuted for it. Oh, wait on. I, I can I can protect myself by saying I didn't want Trump to prosecute me for it. <laughs> the governor said on Monday that he had not delivered information because his office was busy with federal requests, which made which was made in late August, and conceded that it was not forthcoming with data. There was a delay, said Mr. Cuomo, a third term Democrat. Okay, and then his excuse for this is is just egregious. Um, it's just so entitled. And you can tell that he's just so arrogant and so protected. And he's been worshipped. You know, these girls on Instagram calling him daddy. Like, govern me daddy. I think that's what they were saying. And they said the same thing about Gavin Newsom. And look where that's gotten us. Oh, man. It's just so insane. Okay, we should have provided more information faster, Mr. Cuomo said saying that his administration was too focused on doing the job and addressing the crisis of the moment. That is the equivalent to answering, I just work too hard whenever you're asked what your biggest weakness is at a job interview. That is fucking absurd. He conceded that we should have done a better job, adding that the speculation about the death toll and its cause meant confusion and cynicism and pain for families and loved ones. I take responsibility for that, he said. Total death counts were always accurate. Nothing was hidden from anyone, but we did create the void, and, and that created pain, and I feel very badly about that. This fucking guy, dude, he wrote a book praising himself. Just the, the amount of self-praise and narcissism exuded from Andrew Meatball Cuomo is just sad. Like, it's seriously embarrassing to watch. This hothead, this arrogant prick, not apologize for lying to avoid a federal investigation, which he 1,000% deserves. 1,000%. 
Now, if he would have just made mistakes and this would have all happened and he hadn't uh, made a paper mache uh, mountain of COVID success and hadn't written a fucking book praising himself for his excellent works and hadn't won a fucking Emmy for his his work with uh, COVID, I don't know, whatever the fuck, flattening the curve or whatever the hell. It wouldn't be that big of a deal, honestly. Shit's going to happen. We didn't know what was going on. We didn't know ventilators were killing people. We didn't, we had to make, they, people had to make decisions. And some of those decisions were the wrong decision. We can acknowledge that now. But the amount of praise that he received while subsequently killing a bunch of old people that didn't need to die. And then, and then just basking in his own glory is what makes this so egregious. Really frustrating to see this happen. Really frustrating to, to have to experience this and look at it through the lens of, of, the, of the families who were impacted by this, who lost loved ones that didn't need to die, while the person responsible for protecting them and being praised for protecting them is just sitting on a throne of, of awards and accolades from mainstream media. Like, that's a sad place to be. And we need to acknowledge those people, and something needs to be done about this. He needs to be held to account for his decisions. This is not a partisan situation. This is a moral situation. And something needs to be done about it. Oh, man. Fucking Cuomo, I swear to God. This guy, I was, I was a fan. I was a fan for a while, but he, he definitely articulates himself well. With that being said, it's time to move on to that that part of the show where I just give you something to think about. Let's get into it. All right, the pendulum of ignorance. The pendulum of of ignorance. Now, if we can think back, if you were alive, if you're, you know, maybe over 30, remember the days when the Republicans were very adamant, right? We had the Tea Party movement. Um, we had the Glenn Beck era, right? These guys that now all work for the blaze. Uh, Rush Limbaugh was a bigger deal back then. These people that were pushing abstinence-only education and the threats to the nuclear family. I think Thomas Sowell is somebody who still does that. Um, when Ben Shapiro kind of had us come up listening, just just yelling at college students and, and making them feel stupid for their uh, misinformed ideas, um, but picking on kind of bullying the little guy, right? Which was fun and entertaining, but also not that impressive if we were going to be honest with ourselves. But we had this time where, you know, people weren't making gay couples cakes and gay marriage was the the biggest problem. And everybody on the left was laughing at their ignorance and denial of reality and where things were going and being on the wrong side of history, right? Abstinence only education, like all these different things. The pendulum of ignorance had swung far to the right, and they were in denial of what was happening and what was good for the world, which was really interesting to watch, right? But now, the pendulum of ignorance has swung far to the left. The left now owns 80% of the ignorant bullshit, <laughs> and maybe it's a small percentage of the left, but nonetheless, it is the left who owns the denial of biology, denial of science, terrible ideas, racist ideas, it's getting really silly. Like to tell black people that hard work is exclusively a white trait 
is pretty fucking racist. Let's be honest with ourselves here. So the left has fully embraced the swing of the pendulum of ignorance. But if we go back 15 years, that wasn't the case. And now everybody thinks that this is, you know, the end of civilization and the right is going to position this as if it's a threat to everything that you hold dear, right? The narrative is that just America is getting robbed from people who actually love America the most, which is not true, right? But it's effective. So what I want you to think about here is what will it take? Is it even possible for that pendulum to swing back in a different direction in the next 10 or 15 or 20 years? Because we think about things in the now so much, which can be helpful sometimes and can be good sometimes. But we have to also zoom out and think about things on a larger scale. That's very, very important. So consider that. Just kind of play out a few scenarios in your head. Do some thought experiments on what it will take and if it's possible for that pendulum of ignorance to swing on back to the other side. Thank you guys so much for tuning into the show. I've got to get out of here. They're about to cut the power to my house and dig up an electric line. Um, I love you guys. And if you want more of this good, good. Wait, I'm on the, I had the wrong, what, what am I doing? I'm playing the wrong music, y'all. It's for everybody who lives at the, at the end of the episode. True story. They actually cut my power off um, before <laughs> I finished that segment and I had to redo a little bit of it. But here we are anyways. Anyways, if you love the show, make sure to review on Apple Podcasts. Give it a five-star review. I'd really appreciate that. And if you want more juicy content to be engaged in the conversation, get your ass over to the Patreon community, the politically homeless community. It's a place for you. It's built for you so you can stay safe and free. And be a thought criminal with me. (laughs) Keep your head on straight. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye.